1: This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online
0: provider for the NBA's winningest franchise.
1: Welcome in to the final edition of the Winning Plays Podcast. As you know it, my name is Brian Robb, and this is far from a bittersweet farewell for this podcast, as we have some extremely big news to announce. The Celtics have been obviously making a ton of blockbuster moves hanging into this season, and figured it was our turn to up our game in the podcasting world, so... This is going to be the last edition of the Winning Plays podcast. But that's actually a good thing for you listeners out there. Because moving forward, I'm going to be joining forces with J. King, the Athletic, as well as Sam Packard on their podcast, Still Potable, as we all team up together, combine forces to create a daily Celtics podcast. Now, what exactly does this mean for you? You will still be able to get this podcast in a Still potable form every Monday in this very feed which will be named Still Potable" going forward, RIP winning plays. The more important news is that three of us will be producing a Celtics podcast every single weekday going forward under the Still Potable" Patreon. So if you sign up under the Still Potable" Patreon, you can see the link in the description of this pod, you will be able to get a Celtics-themed podcast every weekday from the three of us for as little as $5 a month. There's Three different pricing tiers involved at 5 10 and $25 a month. That will get you access to daily podcasts from the three of us, along with a number of other cool features, like a, a group chat involving other subscribers and us, and the ability to participate in the podcast themselves by asking us questions. Obviously, there'll be no ads in these podcasts on the Patreon as well. So we'll have a full breakdown on the site itself. You can check out that description here in the link for this podcast episode. But to be honest, guys, I'm just really excited about this. I'm really excited to be joining forces with Jam Jam, who have been podcasting together about the Seas for years and our great institutions on the beat, along with obviously Jay's great writing at The Athletic. And so the question is for you, like, what, what are you getting with this new setup from the three of us? You're getting, again, coverage of what you want from us on a day-to-day basis about the Seas. No ads. Timely reaction to the big games, trades, events, any breaking news. There's going to be a combination of us reacting to it quickly on the hill for all of our subscribers. So it's something you want to be a part of. We're also really focused on building a community on the Patreon. So you can chat with other people on it before, after games. And we'll obviously be checking in there as well. And we'll be taking ideas, questions, topics from everyone on there as well. So we really want it to be a collaborative effort as we break down everything about this team. We'll obviously be diving into trade stuff, for agency stuff, draft stuff. Because as it comes at any points of the year, this will be a year-round endeavor that will keep you posted on a team that everyone's excited about. And the other good news is regular winning plays contributors in the past, such as Chris Forsberg, Michael Pina, Ryan Bernardoni, Suicci Tirada. They're also going to appear periodically on the new show as guests from time to time. And I want to give all those guys a special shout out for being a part of the winning plays pod in recent years here, and specifically, obviously, co-founders Mike Pina of The Ringer and Richard Dean Love everyone who's been a part of it. Really enjoyed making shows with those guys, and we'll still be a part of the show going forward in guest form from time to time. But it's going to be me. It's going to be Jay. It's going to be Sam on the Still Potable podcast. We're going to be bringing you fresh content every day in what could be a really special season for the Cs. So that's my spiel. Without further ado, here's our first show together. Again, thanks for listening thanks for everyone for checking this out and really hope to see you listening to us on this one and going forward as part of the patreon
0: you are the kids the gods and the legends i am sam jam packard he is el nino jay king from the athletic and for the first time ever from MassLive.com, brian b rob rob is joining us here and together we are still potable that's right, folks. B Rob's joining the still potable family. Still potable is getting bigger. It's getting better. And we're creating a podcast empire. And I'm thrilled about it. This is exciting stuff. Jay, take it away. I don't I don't I'm I'm on a loss for words just because I'm amped up.
2: This is an awesome announcement. And we've known about this for like what, a week, two weeks now? And I've just been itching to tell everyone because I really think it's a huge shakeup. I think it's going to be not just a better show, but now we're going to be a more consistent show. We're going to do daily shows Monday through Friday. We're going to still have the tiers that we've had in the Patreon page, but we're also going to add one free show that people can listen to without being a subscriber, or you can get it without ads if you are a subscriber. Then we're going to have... Two, the two other tiers, one with two shows a week, the other with the other four shows a week. And you can look at our Patreon page for the, kind of the breakdown of all that stuff. But I just think this is awesome. And B-Rob is just kind of a, the perfect fit where he doesn't take himself or this whole thing too seriously. Uh, but he's also an extremely talented Celtics analyst who knows a lot about the game. And so to add him is something that really like, I just think it's a perfect fit.
1: I cannot echo that anymore, gentlemen. I mean, this is like, you know, we've been, we've talked about this for a week or two now. And for a while I've been thinking about, you know, it'd be great to do something daily on the podcast front. And when the opportunity opened up to do it with you two fine gentlemen, uh, that was something I was head over heels for. And I think, We are going to team up and create the most, the best analysis, the best entertaining Celtics Daily Pod out there for all our subscribers. And, you know, the the Celtics made some big moves this offseason. And damn it, it was our turn. And (laughs) a uh, new big three.
0: three
1: Who
2: gives gives a shit about Christophs Porzingis and Drew Holiday? (laughs) We had a B Rob, the the biggest acquisition around the Celtics this offseason and he's coming just in time for the regular season, and I love—I really love, like, it's better to have a show that's every day. It's fresher content. It's better content. It's more in-depth content, and adding a third person just allows us to do that, and the fact that it's B-Rob, and the fact that he has as much institutional knowledge as he does about the Celtics, the fact that he puts in all the work about the Celtics, the fact that like we, we can just add such an awesome perspective to the show. Like I'm so pumped. And again, like I, I've stressed this to the listeners a lot, the, all the subscribers and now the people on the free free show can hear it too, but we don't take it lightly at all that you guys are paying money to listen to us speak (laughs) about the Celtics. And we're just going to use that all as an investment to just, get bigger, get better and do more shows, do better shows and just connect to everyone and hopefully make this the best place to to chat about the Celtics, to listen about the Celtics, to kind of feel like like you're with your friends every single day, Monday through Friday. And that that's the vision here and this is just a huge step toward solidifying us as um I think we've always had the best celtics podcast but doing it every day and adding b rob who's just fucking awesome is like i'm I'm head over heels i'm so excited b rob just a little like behind the scenes so b rob called me i don't is it okay if i share like the backstory here b rob sure of course yeah so b rob called me and was like i have an idea <laughs> and i didn't really know Sound <laughs> Jay didn't really know where he was going to go with it. And uh, I don't think he under he knew how I would react to his pitch of merging podcasts um, and adding him to still potable. And immediately I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like This is amazing. I'm going to call Packard. I'm sure he's going to be on board too. I called Packard and Packard was like, hell yeah, there were no reservations at all and um, well i'm just like,
0: excited to talk to someone about the celtics other than you jay and so it's going to be nice <laughs> to like, just kind of change up that dynamic have different uh kind of i think that's a good thing about the show is that um uh, i think on the free shows on mondays we're gonna uh all three of us are going to be in there but it's just going to be a way for us to have kind of different discussions and so keep it fresh and sometimes we will be b rob and i sometimes it'll be jay and i sometimes it'll be just just jay and b rob but i think it's a way to kind of have constantly because you know, sometimes those discussions get repetitive, but I think as long as they're changing up perspectives, I'm excited to kind of just um, grow and, and kind of figure out what all those new dynamics are. So it's going to be it's going to be pretty awesome. If you want the free show, take it on Monday, but you're going to want to be listening to it in for the rest of the week. So sign up, become a kid, get that Tuesday and Thursday show, sign up to be a god. And you can get every single show in the week, or you can sign up be a legend. You could be watching us live for every single time we post on Streamyard. You could join us in the studio. You could uh, join the discussion. Um, I think it's just going to be a really fun community, and um, especially once the season gets started, be super interactive on the chat, uh, super responsive to mailbags, questions, and things like that. And so, um, I'm just really, like really looking forward to the season getting started. The thing is, like, I'm excited to podcast with both of you guys. But the fact that the Celtics are going to be really fucking good makes it also, like, a lot more exciting. And, like, the preseason that they just had um, and just how much it looks like the impact that Chris Tapps and Drew Holiday are going to make on this team, I think, uh, only further adds that excitement. Brian, we haven't, like, got a chance to, um, you know, talk to you uh, here on the podcast about, kind of like what your impressions were from the the Celtics um, off season, I guess from their preseason. And what am I justified in having these ridiculously high um, expectations for this team heading into the regular season that starts on Wednesday?
1: I mean, I don't like, this is a terrible off season for them, Packard. I don't know what you're talking about. This is just <laughs> like, they, they're really trying to patch things together. No, this is to your point. This team is, I think it's going to be a wagon, um, you know, health permitting, obviously, but. The all summer long, there's I think there was big questions in terms of what this team would look like, you know, with Marcus Smart out the door, and with the Porzingis fit made a lot of sense, but also opened up some vulnerable spots in other parts of the roster, and to be able to bring in Drew Holiday for that to answer, not we don't know if it's going to answer all those questions, but a hell, of a heck of a lot based on what we're seeing so far uh, through two weeks of meetings. You can pre-season. say hell, it's okay. I mean, you can. i, say know, I got Fox used to swearing. Say lawyer, shit, no. say whatever. Damn, you want. it's, it's no. cool. <laughs> but no it's it's a lot of wait your you know, second like, swear word was damn damn gosh darn <laughs> fucking a this is brutal no i mean you have to i have to work my way in here guys to work my way in it to the still potable vernacular but no it is a situation where um i think you look where they are and you especially look around other teams around at east J uh, in terms of what they have to go up against and, and it looks like they're in as good of a situation as you want right now, heading into the start of season, um, the season, given the drama going on elsewhere. All right, let's take a break to hear from our sponsor, FanDuel. Snap into the action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets, guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and much more. So visit FianDuel.com slash Boston and kick off the NFL season. Fanduel, the official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in present Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only $10 first deposit required bonus issued as non withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt restriction supply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com gambling help line ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24 seven support. Play it smarts from the start Gamesense ma.com
2: or call 1-800-GAM1234. Yeah. And I thought, like, they and the Bucks did the most over the offseason to improve. And I thought especially after the Bucks got Damian Lillard and then the Celtics kept adding, while, well, like, the other teams just didn't do too much. Cleveland was probably the other quasi-contender that helped itself the most. But they didn't get out of the first round last year. They had a long, long way to go among the contenders. Like, Philly still doesn't know whether James Harden will play for them this year, which seems like an issue. And and now the whole Bucs thing is just weird. Just a weird situation over there. First of all, Middleton like didn't start training camp. Bad sign after he went away for the offseason. Like, to come back and you just can't practice immediately. I know you want to ramp a guy up. I know you want to be safe with guys, but that's just not a great sign. And then... Terry Stotts just leaves the the top assistant coach just leaves like a week before the season. And
0: do we know what happened there? I just saw that he was leaving and I thought I saw some rumors of like an altercation, but like, was there any follow up for like, why that left?
2: Shams Sharania reported and Eric name reported that there was like a, a thing at practice where (laughs) Adrian Griffin called for a coach's meeting after a huddle. And Instead, Terry Stotts like went and was talking to some of the players and like kind of giving them advice. And Adrian Griffin like called called over to like summon him to come. And then Stotts was like, "Ah, can I get a few few moments here?" And <laughs> it it, just, it happened in front of everybody, and it was just a sign of the weird dynamic with Terry Stotts, who not only was a very good head coach, but also was Damian Lillard's good head guy. coach for a long time. So. You can see why that would be a very weird dynamic, but it's not the best start to the Adrian Griffin era in Milwaukee.
1: And then you throw in the fact that they have literally no one to defend on the perimeter um, outside don't of like, don't like, speak on Pop Mo-Champ. Yeah, Marjan 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 Mochamp. I'm sorry. Mo-Champ. But Put have we, can there. we, can we think of like, I'm trying to think of like, uh, just not to get off on the bucks too much here, but like Stott, that president of when assistant coach, like feuds, someone, something like that happened for, but I'm thinking like, oh yeah, like Lawrence Frank, and yeah, like had that situation.
2: Scal, with, Scal, 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 we have to, we to bring Scal on to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. Scal, Scal's got some experience in this uh, <laughs> field. The oh, Scout was uh, secretly yeah. recording his
0: coach. I don't know if Terry Stott's that broke any wiretap laws.
2: It doesn't happen very often, <laughs> for sure. And the fact that, happened like so close to the start of the season. And then it's just like Adrian Griffin is a first time head coach. And I have no idea whether he's going to be good in that. He has a good reputation as an assistant from his time in Toronto and elsewhere. Like who knows whether he'll be good, but it's not the greatest sign (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that his top assistant has already left. Because one of the biggest jobs as a head coach is to just deal with everybody. Just put out fires left and right, connect with people, um, like um, just handle every issue that happens in an organization. And for that to become such a divisive thing right away, not the greatest. I, I don't want to spend too much time on Milwaukee's misgivings because like that seems they could just of come out and, them, they and... could just
0: come out and win twenty games like at the yeah, start of the season it, like it easily it, could just be like in nine. the
2: end adding Damian Lillard next to Giannis they're probably gonna be awesome and maybe this is all just stuff that doesn't end up mattering in the long run. But as far as like before the season starts stuff they, they've just had a, it's been a tough little run for them
0: and like we've talked about uh, just how difficult it was for Missoula to come in. And it's obviously not the same circumstance, but it's like first year coach, you don't like, you're trying to set up your system. You're trying to like put everything in place. Obviously something like this has uh, kind of destabilizing effect. First year head coaches rarely win. Uh, Nick nurse is the only one I can really think of, but that was like major Kawhi eBay did well, but like, it took a while that first like four months of Ime's first season was really up and down uh, and kind of tumultuous. And it wasn't until kind of, they just developed that crazy defense. Um, B Rob, we've talked about kind of what we've seen from Joe Missoula heading into year two and how it just like feels remarkably different just from like his press conferences alone. Like you can just sense a comfort level that he was that like, instead of just outward hostility towards the media, he actually like <laughs> you know answers questions and you know even even might have thrown a joke there. but like you are someone like Jay who's there every day um, asking him questions. and so I'm guess curious like your perspective on the, the kind of the second year Joe Missoula because we can talk about the lineup changing, but like just being around the team a little bit, it feels like his kind of shift in mindset or being more comfortable has been like a big noticeable change so far.
1: Yeah, there's honestly, that probably is the biggest, not the biggest one of the season, but the most noticeable one with this team is just in terms of you know, how comfortable he feels talking to us. And I'm sure that goes for the case in the locker room as well with the players where last year at this point, you're, you're not walking on eggshells, but you're the interim coach for a team that has title aspirations. So you're, you're certainly not going to rock the boat. Um, he lost that tag midway through the year, but I think he was still you know, pretty set in his ways all year long. And the team, I think they had a lot of changes this off season. I think some of those changes will maybe potentially help Joe out in terms of, you know, being able to stretch his wings a little bit more. Um, and obviously I think the lineup decisions are going to be a lot simpler for me this year, but for me, I'm kind of withholding judgment here till we see him talking. We see him. We hear him talk to talk so far in preseason, but I want to see the walk, the walk in the game since I think last season, Especially in the playoffs, there were some pretty tough situations for him that were, I think, were pretty badly mismanaged at points. Whether it was in the game stuff or some lineup stuff, we, you know, we, you guys and I talked about Derek White stuff all year long. Um, some of that stuff will take care of itself, but I'm very eager to see what type of changes he makes in year two, since that I think will could potentially be a way for this team to go from very good to you know,
2: phenomenal in the regular season at least. Yeah, and he's he's saying all the right things. Um, What he's stressed recently is like the need to develop other ways to win besides just beating people with three-pointers. And I, I wrote a story about this tonight for The Athletic. And while looking back at the stats, it was crazy how unable they were to win when they didn't shoot the ball very well. They were... 31 and one when they shot at least 40% from three and like basically 500 when they didn't in the playoffs, they were two and eight when they shot less than 39% from three, wow. which is like, that's a high. <laughs> number. It's, high. it's they crazy won, high. They only won one of like, I think it was seven games when they shot worse than 35% from three in the playoffs. And the one was Derek white's fucking tip in at the buzzer, which was, which was very fortunate. So, they didn't force turnovers at all. They hardly ever offensive rebounded. Robert Williams was, like, basically their only chance to grab an offensive rebound last year. And that shouldn't have been the case. Like, they did not have to be a bad turnover-forcing team. They had Marcus Smart. They had Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Derek White, Robert Williams when he played, even though he only played 35 games. That should have been a super disruptive team. And the year before, they finished, 11th in forcing turnovers, which isn't great, but it's at least pretty good. And they plummeted almost to the bottom of the league last year. And I think a lot of it was the way that Joe coached the defense. Like it was, it was more conservative style. It was, he said that he didn't emphasize defense enough. He wasn't consistent enough with the messaging to the players on that. And you can see that it's different now. And so th- that's what should give Celtics fans confidence is like he's analyzed Every single thing he did, he has analyzed every single thing the team did. He has realized that playoff basketball is different than regular season basketball. He has under, he understands now that sometimes you can throw his beloved math out the window and you just need to find different ways to win. And the Celtics didn't have that last year. Uh, So I think it's super promising that like he has placed such an emphasis on kind of, not winning ugly all the time, but being able to win ugly when they need to. And, and like, again, they should be a very good defensive team. They should be a very disruptive defensive team with Drew Holiday, with Derek White, Tatum Brown. Like, they should be able to get a lot of steals, get out in transition, be a really dangerous team in that regard. They were not good at any of that stuff last year. And, and it's on Joe to, to change the, the strategies to change the focuses. And I think he started to do that. So I would like, I came into this season wanting to see exactly what he changed. And it's a lot. Like he really reviewed everything. And I think they were going to really benefit from having him in year two now and knowing exactly what he wants to do and being more like, confident and sure of himself and just with like more wisdom about how to navigate everything.
0: What do you think, what do you guys think the adjustment is on the defensive end to be more aggressive, to take, like, to try and generate more turnovers? I think like, obviously just having the players that they do have in Drew Holiday and Derek White, that's like probably two of the best perimeter defenders in the league. Maybe maybe put Alex Caruso in there as well. But, like, obviously just having that talent. But, like, scheme-wise, they're not going to – it doesn't feel like they're necessarily going to be a switch-everything team with uh, Chris Taps in there. So what are they doing to kind of be more aggressive and and just try to, I guess, generate more turnovers and get out in transition?
1: To me, it's probably just two things just off the top of my head. One, if you have Jason Tan I'm talking about wanting to make all-defensive team, that's probably going to help. Um, yes. as, like just from a straight effort standpoint for him. Not that he he's been a good to great defender in the past, but if he's if he's committed to that every night here, that helps there. And two, I think honestly, like I and this is we'll go for offensives too to, to what Jade is talking about. Like I think just getting a little more unpredictable. Like they had a conservative scheme and they didn't really stray from it too much over the course of the year, and I think that led to problems at points in the playoffs. If they if they throw some wrinkles in here and there based on their personnel. I think that can go a long way in terms of certainly creating the turnovers you want and just, you know, keeping offenses guessing a little more, um, you know, possession to possession.
2: Yeah, and I think they have – they're so smart. Like, defensively, they just have a lot of really smart defenders who are capable of of doing all that stuff on the fly. And I can remember, like, it was a time last year toward the beginning of the year when the Celtics' defense was not – good like the numbers very early were not good and they ended up finishing second which is obviously really good Um, but still never reached a point where they like just totally shut people down or were able to keep people off guard and I remember Joe Missoula just saying like yeah we're, like we're forcing shots from like the right areas and our our opposing effective field goal percentage or like expected expect uh, effective field goal percentage was was really good and and it's like so so the structure was there. And I think what he failed to realize is that the structure can be there, but at the end of the day, it's like <laughs> you have to be able to make the best players uncomfortable. And that's where the Celtics struggled last, like Atlanta Hawks series. Trey Young was comfortable most of that series. And that was in the playoffs when everybody was locked in, when everybody was he felt comfortable, James Harden. You know game one of the second round series they they let him feel comfortable the whole game and he ended up with 40 points even without Joel Embiid and it's like yes you can force guys into the shots you want but at the end of the day against the very best players that shit makes a difference that you are not showing them new stuff that you are not being super aggressive attacking them that you are not you know sending like hard traps that you were not like just doing stuff on the fly and i don't think they ever reached that level last year they were really good in the regular season they had great numbers um but like they never had that switch or not a switch cuz the, the year before it wasn't a switch like they just they never reached that level where they were just going to take you out of what you wanted to do and and to me that was the biggest difference and that's like that should be the vision this year to Yes, force the types of shots you want. And yes, like try to be a great defense. But at the end of the day, you have to take away someone's comfort level. And you have to be able to do that against the best players in the world. And you can't just like funnel them to a certain place of on the floor and let them shoot like a certain percentage shot. Because at the end of the day against the best players, you just need to be better than that. Caleb the Martin was in the comfiest yeah. chair ever for that. Entire I was going to say <laughs>
0: you, can, you can force, you can play the math and you can like force certain guys to take shots. But then sometimes Caleb Martin, Max Bruce and Gabe Vincent are going to shoot 55% from three for an entire series. And like, you're going to need to do something differently. <laughs> I think the um, offensive end, it feels like there's not a like, it's not like they're going to stop shooting threes. Like they're still going to shoot like 60 threes a game. Like, um, and so I think it's, Gonna be interesting to see what happens when those are not falling. But I still think like especially the spacing with the Christaps at the five lineup, like they are gonna be launching. They are like going to be, I would say, multiple games over 23s made. And so I think do think they're gonna have like different wrinkles and Christaps will be able to punish switches and you know, Jason Tatum, everyone's talking about how he put on 12 pounds of muscle in the offseason. He's gonna especially- be playing
2: jam packer
0: (laughs) that that was the joke jay thank you (laughs) um he's gonna play some bully ball but like what like i don't think the offense like philosophy is necessarily going to change like missoula ball is launching as many threes as possible and i think they brought in some players who are going to help facilitate that but i don't think we're going to see like drastically different looks uh or uh just on the offensive end it's just gonna be more more of the same basically
2: so this was an interesting thing that happened after Not practice today, but practice Friday. So Joe finished his scrum interview and then just basically stood there for like five minutes explaining why that game was an example of what he wants to be in the the shot margins. And basically he said that he wants to shoot all the same threes they did last year. Where he wants more twos is in transition after forced turnovers. And on putback attempts after offensive rebounds. And he said, basically, like, if they can add those to their shot profile, then that's going to be what makes a difference. And that's going to be what makes them less reliant on the three. Not necessarily passing up threes and, like, trying to over-dribble because that actually usually goes poorly in the NBA. And (laughs) the Celtics have been an example of that sometimes, even in recent years when they've launched a lot of threes. But I thought that was really interesting because um, last year he went on and on about threes, got to shoot threes, yada, yada, yada. And modern math, like, yes, yes, you do. Three greater than two, yada, yada, yada. But, like, it's interesting to see that he wants to add those other twos and not necessarily, like, half-court twos or twos at the expense of open threes. Like, just add, like, this whole – different category that they really weren't able to tap into last year so i thought that that was interesting from missoula
1: yeah that and to add to that they just added they're a better shooting team period like you for as much as they may miss marcus smart like teams would be begging for him to take those threes a lot of time and he was good at like not firing away as much as years past but that was still a problem for spacing Especially in the playoffs now, so now you have Drew Holiday in that role. You have what, like who's who's a non-shooter who's going to be in the rotation right now? Like Luke Cornett. Like that's pretty much it. Like and and if Horford when Horford comes off the
2: bench, Cornet will play minimal. Right, nine.
1: he'll play maybe five. He's going to play back to backs, and that's going to be it. So, like if you you and then you have better guys like Porzingis to get the twos that you were just talking about, Jay. You have better guys to do that now, where whether it's Porzingis first in mismatches, whether it's. You know, you have better shooters around Tatum and Brown, so their driving lanes should be better in theory. Once things get going here, so like, offensively, the I mean, we've seen them scratching the surface of it now, but it's like this is this is going to be nightmares for defenses if if this team can stay healthy and they and the the ball moves, which is still I think going to be an open question too in terms of the guys they have on the floor, how well that you know the cohesiveness gets early. But i don't know, like, Jim, do you think like that's there already, or do you feel like that's like going to be a work in progress more?
0: Just from the preseason, it's just looked so easy for them on offense that I, like, I don't – we haven't seen them in a a a high leverage situation. So it's like – Or even against
2: any good players. Yeah, sure. They played
1: complete trash this preseason. Like, one first unit.
0: Yes, absolutely. And so we have yet to see them face any sort of adversity. We've yet to see them in a close game where, like, things slow down and they, like, need a bucket and how it's working. But just the amount of attention – that Chris Taps kind of generates in, kind of when he sets a screen and rolls or kind of pops, I think it just makes uh, kind of the reads much easier. Um, but I do think it's going to be interesting to be like, okay, what's their what's their five like five like whatever is defined as a close game? Like, what is their go to offense? Is it just putting the ball in Tatum's hands and kind of running a Chris Taps high screen and roll with him? Or are you going to kind of let Derek White, or Drew Holiday kind of be more traditional point guards? I think there's like so many different options. Um, but I'm very curious because, like, it seems like they've played with like a lot of flow of the offense. Obviously, it was in preseason, obviously, it was against not very good opponents. What happens when they play a good team and like things kind of slow down? They, like the stuff they're trying to do, the transitions uh, is not working for them. They're not generating turnovers or they're not getting the offensive rebounds. What's their kind of default? kind of like clutch offense. And this point, I just have no idea what that is. I'm assuming it's, you put the ball in Jason Tatum's hands and try to make a play, but um, I'm just kind of curious, like who's going to be the main playmaker facilitator because it felt like last year when they needed something, it was kind of Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, two-man game. And they really developed a chemistry where um, either one screen for each other, or they kind of knew where they'd want to be. And that was the kind of like break in need of emergency kind of offense. I don't know what that um, offense is now um but we have we have no idea at this point like i i think they just have a much more talented kind of as you mentioned shooting roster so maybe they won't, won't have to worry about that as much
2: yeah there's a lot obviously <laughs> we still haven't learned about this team and yeah, that, that's that crunch time offense has to be the biggest because 2022 they lost the finals because their crunch time offense wasn't good enough 2023 they lost to the heat because their offense in huge moments wasn't good enough. So how does the new mix work in those last five minutes? How does Porzingis unlock – does he unlock things? How does he unlock things? Even from his – like from an individual perspective with him, how does – how does he handle like playoff competition? He hasn't been in the playoffs since Dallas, I think. And he was yep. not
0: pretty – he was not good, if I remember correctly, in the Dallas, like, in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, so he's had very minimal playoff experience. And so there's just a lot to be answered there. I do think that when you watch Porzingis, and it's just kind of like, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that, dude, that dude's going to be tough for other teams to stop. And that that dude with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and Drew Holiday and Derek White is going to be a lot for teams to handle. Um, but, like, again, what happens when teams are mucking things up? Is he going to be able to still score in the post like he did last year in Washington, you know, in the conference finals when Giannis is guarding him or Brooke Lopez is guarding him in the post? I don't know. I, that that's, that's not clear yet. But the uh, – I just think it should be an easy, like basketball wise, the skill sets just mesh together so well. And poor Zingas, and just at the level of shooting. Um, there's always something that stuck out, stood out to me. I think it was JJ Reddick who said it, but I could be wrong. And he basically said, when there's more shooting on the court, everyone else gets open shots. And it's, it's, it's not intuitive because you'd think like if there's a ton of shooting on the court, the other team will be locked into stopping the shooters. But really you just like get so over eager to stop shooters that you then give up like extra passes to the other guy, or you're not guarding a screen well, and somebody just pops wide open. And so I think the Celtics have a chance for that, where they just have so many really, really good shooters who can also do other things that, it's going to be easy for them a lot of nights offensively.
1: Yeah, like the Tatum and the crunch time offense was for this team. I mean, they go back even beyond the last two years. Like you can go back to the bubble of the heat. Like there is just Tatum and Brown for all that they've done. They've really struggled a lot in those moments. And they've, you know, Tatum has hit big, they both hit big shots, but by and large, it hasn't been great when they needed it the most. And so you wonder how much that was, you know, last year in particular, like, okay, like coaching wise, there's, not calling timeouts a lot in those situations, letting them play, and that just wasn't leading to results. But I think they, the best way to solve that, to your point, Jay, is like add more shooting around them, and that creates more space, and that should create more opportunities. Whether it's for Tatum and Porzingis in the pick and roll, or whether it's for swinging it to White in the corner, who makes the extra drive and kick to the to for Jalen Brown on the opposite side. Like those those type of plays, we didn't see much of that at all last season in those big moments. I feel like that is potentially like the final piece of the puzzle here of like okay like they have the pieces there to put together that type of unpredictable offense in those spots and it's whether or not they actually like
2: you know hold to it who's the worst shooter in their top eight
1: in like on paper or just like in those in terms of trusting in those moments, you feel like
2: No, just like overall, including like shot talent, because yeah. like it's it's one thing to shoot forty five percent or whatever Horford did, but it's another to be Sam right. Hauser I, and coming across, coming a, around a, a million screens and still shooting forty two percent or whatever he was. Yeah, I don't probably like
1: probably Horford, I would think because of like I know his percentages have been great in the last couple of races, but in terms of like if you give, he probably gets the most wide open. Looks out of anyone like her. Maybe Derek White will too. I know Drew Holiday struggled in threes and places. So I think like in the playoffs four... only.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's probably either Holiday or White. And right. And it, it's worst like nuts. Shooter in your top eight. It's pretty good. That's, that's dangerous. Like it's, it's kind of, it's kind of wild that, especially when they, on the nights when they typically, or on the nights when they primarily play the top eight, they are going to have so much shooting.
0: All right, just, who's a who's a better pick to bet on right now for six man of the year, Al Horford or Peyton Pritchard?
2: <laughs> Neither of them. Yeah, Peyton I, Pritchard's I, gonna I play like more I ask you
0: an either or question. Who, if you had to bet on,
2: and I'm saying Al. they're both bad bets. You fade them both.
0: Well, who's who are you picking for six man of the year? Then somebody
2: who scores a lot of points. It's always somebody who scores a lot of points. The. Uh, That award is not to that does not typically go to the best player who comes off the bench. It goes to the biggest scorer who comes off the bench. So I don't know who that will be, but maybe quickly. He was close last year. That probably makes sense. Is Brogan still gonna come off the bench in Portland? I don't know. Maybe he makes it two in a row. He's gonna
1: play ten games and then get (laughs) three.
0: So, they, you mentioned Horford's not going to be playing back-to-backs. What
2: about Chris Paul? Maybe yeah, Chris that, Paul? That could be. I thought
0: he's going to start, too.
2: Yeah, I don't know if he's going to start. They, they,
0: okay, they, well, back, back to the Celtics. Horford's going to come off the bench, or, or not playing back-to-backs. I think they're, like, obviously Chris Taps has injury history, and I feel like they're probably not going to try to – I have no idea how they're going to treat him in back-to-backs, but, like, the big – rotation uh, I think is like a question mark because one Al Horford's just age, Chris Tapp's injury history, but then you also just know, I don't know how many back-to-backs they have this season, but you're just going to have a bunch of games where you're not going to have both of them. Is that, do you see that like being an issue for them of just like not having that much front court depth? Um, and how do you think the roster is prepared to kind of deal with that? Just knowing that there's like, there's just going to be some games where you're not going to have, both of your bigs in Chris Dabbs and Horford. And then because behind that, there's just not that much uh, kind of talent there as much as I enjoy Luke Cornette. How, How dare you? How
1: dare you? Yeah, I, I, there's no question. I don't think they're, I mean, this is going to be an ongoing song. I think we're gonna figure, they're going to add someone else to this team in the front court that maybe they trust a little bit more than those guys mm. and they don't have hot take. Um, the only they have this six million dollar TPE from Grant Williams that doesn't get I mean there's not a whole lot of guys that fit into that but there's a couple that are like intriguing and probably a bunch of them aren't available now but that situation in a couple months down the road like we'll, we'll get into that when the time comes. but I just think with this team with the urgency of this team right now, you have to build in an insurance plan and Luke Cornett is great for the regular season he can eat, he's innings eater guy. But if one of those guys goes down to the playoffs and, you know, O'Shea, O'Shea Brissett isn't cutting it in those, you know, stretch four, stretch five minutes, then, like, this is an area to kind of, I think, monitor all year long in terms of, like, who's out there and who could be a, a good, uh, you know, emergency piece in that front.
2: Yeah, and some of it depends on whether Brissett or Stevens kind of solidifies themselves yeah. as someone worthy of minutes and capable of playing, not just regular season minutes, but but playoff minutes. And it's probably a long way for either of those guys to get to that point. They both shot the ball terribly during preseason, which will be one of the limiting factors for them. If they can't shoot, then it's going to be really tough to have them on the court in the playoffs. Lamar Stevens, he saw that last year in Cleveland where he started a bunch of games, and then come playoff time was just not really part of their plans. So... Think if one of those guys solidifies themselves, then you can play smaller a little bit if you do have a front court injury. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm with B Rob on this one. Like that's something to watch. They're they're clearly all in to win a title right now, and typically, like there are bigs to get who can make a difference. And we saw them go out and get Daniel Tice a couple years ago. It wasn't it on the board. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't the 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 sexiest acquisition ever, but I wouldn't go that far, but then Robert Williams went down and it was super important to have a reliable backup big in Daniel Tice. So yeah, I, I, unless get like takes control of those minutes, unless Cornette is really good, then, then that's definitely something that that they might do at the deadline. But uh, then again, last year, They went and got Mike Muscala (laughs) and that was, that was (laughs) their, you know, front court depth piece guy and he did nothing for them. He had like two good games when he first got to Boston and then did nothing for them. So it's maybe it's harder to find a, a serviceable big than, than I, I just gave credit for. We
1: didn't even talk about Nathan
2: Knight here, guys, so the disrespect on him. Yeah, how how do we get 40 minutes without Truth. discussing the second yeah. most famous alumni of Nottingham High School in the Celtic sphere? <laughs> he went to I... Adam Himmel's box high school. Oh <laughs> you said that
0: initially, like all of us should have known also, who the first.
2: <laughs> I, I don't know whether um Sherrod went to that same high school, but I think he did. I think they all went to Nottingham High School. So
0: you have the rankings of um Himmelsbach, Knight, then Sherrod in terms no, of No, that famous. was just <laughs> a that was just a stupid joke.
2: <laughs> it's clearly NBA player number one or two way player number one. And then then the media guys are lumped together far, far below that. Nice
0: save. Well done. Um...
2: Nathan Knight did have one hell of a game against the Celtics a few years yeah. back. Ago. Is the that monster. Brad's
0: entire strategy? Just anyone who has a good game against the Celtics will bring him in and see what see if we kick the tires on him. Yeah, we, we have
1: to we have to make a list. We have to go back the last couple of years now
2: with him coaching and figure out what's who. Who else? Either that out there. or guys who have played for him. Yeah, Daniel Tice. I don't think he ever really had a good game against the Celtics, but he had <laughs> no. plenty of good games for yeah. him. Al Horford, same thing. And then he like Brissett killed them. Nathan Knight. That was that was one of the worst performances the Celtics have had in a long time. The Nathan Knight game. It was Did Monroe playing that game too. It was Greg him Monroe. and Greg Monroe just cooking them when they had most of their guys available. I want to say it was during that the weird COVID year. It was. But I I don't really remember. But Nathan Knight and Greg Monroe just cooking them was that was a low. That was a low. That was Eme's. Yeah, was right? the twenty and twenty start to Eme like before before things started to click for the Eme Celtics. They were just getting toasted. By Craig. <laughs> and now and
0: and new two way player Nathan Knight. Um, so we talked a lot. He about... trucked
2: Corrales at practice today. By oh wait, yeah, that was wait. take yeah, a you step gotta hear back.
0: this. Let's tell the whole story. <laughs> <laughs>
2: trucked Corrales at practice. So we're, we're sitting there in the scrum interviewing Joe Missoula, and all of a sudden, Corrales just comes crashing through and almost tackles Missoula inadvertently. <laughs> and uh, I don't know exactly what happened on the court because I wasn't watching it, but somehow Nathan Knight collided with Corrales, who was like seven, eight feet off the the court and corral <laughs> I mean, it, was, it was magical i i wish corrales had had fallen into joe i wish he had fallen into a camera i wish it had been more of a aftermath more damage done but it was still magical it was, it was like
1: a one-on-one game on the court and if i unless i didn't hear it the, the funniest part is like corrales was like oh my god like he Took a shot. Like Nathan Knight is 6'9". Like that's a lot. He was going full steam ahead. That's a lot of dude coming in there. And then he just like left. And like nothing happened. Like, like Oh my god. And then Nathan and I just turned around back to the court.
2: Get yeah. back to the <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there was any like stopping to apologize. It wasn't like checking to see what happened. It was like he he went right back into the game.
0: And Corrales is a big dude. Like to yeah. send him flying into a, a scrum is uh, kind of wild. So well, I would have was- been
1: dead. I would have been dead if that was me and Corrales' spot. I I'm probably half his size.
2: It was probably fortunate that it wasn't anybody else because there are a lot of people who would have just gotten absolutely trucked. But Corral, what is he like six five? He, like he played hoops. Like yeah, two hundred two hundred. I'm not something. I'm not gonna guess his weight. <laughs> <laughs> could, could, could come off a little disrespectful. Check of sources. <laughs> but he's a big dude. And uh he didn't go down. he No, he stumbled. He he staggered. He almost ran over like five or six people, but he stayed on his feet. Good for him.
0: Shouts to him. All right. We've talked a lot about this Celtics team and like, obviously they have championship expectations. I think we've talked about a lot of things like whether or not Chris taps can perform in the playoffs, what their clutch offense is going to be with respect to the playoffs We might be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because they do have 82 games to play before they even start that. And to borrow a Bradism, and I think uh, Joe would approve because it feels like Joe is very much a a Kaizen disciple of Brad. Um, A memory that always sticks out to me is when they lost that series to Milwaukee, Brad just went on and on about how Milwaukee has championship habits and the Celtics didn't have championship habits. That's basically just like, sub uh, subtweeting Kyrie for not really being locked in. <laughs> but the idea of just like building those habits and like that is kind of like part of what the point of the regular season is, is to like kind of like work on these things and uh, develop cohesion and trust among the players. And so I'm curious from you guys, just like as beat reporters, you guys have been doing this uh, professionally for way longer than I have. What are you looking for from this team in the first couple of games of the season to kind of like see signs of either they're like on their way to building championship habits or they're like doing something right. What are you guys like looking for in these first games that are now actually like meaningful against the Knicks and the Heat?
1: I would say on that front, um, you look at the crunch time stuff that we already talked about. First of all, I mean, that's the ball movement stuff is you see over the course of the game, but that to me is like, This is where this team, if you want to be a championship team, you have to be able to produce in those moments. And this team hasn't shown they can do that when it matters most for going on three, four years now with the the top guys in place. And then on top of that is just the Joe Mazzola's adaptability in the game itself. Like we're seeing, I think he's saying the right things now. He clearly has, you know, far better foothold in terms of his cover level and, you know, self-reflecting what he was doing last year and changes he wants to make. But, to be able to do that in real time is tough and to be able to pull the right strings is tough. And that's something that, um, you know, great coaches in this league do. And Brad Stevens was, I think one of the best at that when he was here. And now that Joe in year two, he's has, I think there's, you talked to anyone around this organization they're as on, as high on him as ever. And so now he kind of gets to show that off and has a, a pretty strong supporting cast of coaches around him to, to help him do that.
2: The, the things I'm looking at aren't necessarily. I mean, they'll show up in games and stuff like that, but I think it's all the other stuff. And it starts like the the way that players have reacted to Joe's changes so far, and just how excited they seem to be about just like the small culture changes that he's brought on. That's the stuff that that matters to me, because uh, last year, like. They were twenty one and five they won fifty seven games. They never reached a point where it was like this team is operating at such a high level. The year before they played much better basketball, and now like like last year the perfect example was like when they lost to Orlando, then came back and lost to Orlando again in a back to back. And then I think they lost, like, two more games. And it's like, why don't you guys just snap out of it? Why does it take so long for you guys to get back on the same page? Like, why do you keep having these ruts? Why Why don't you have more of a, like, why aren't you on more of a mission? And And everyone said last year we want to get back to the finals, this and that. They never – really carry themselves with the consistency that it takes to be an elite team. They were very good, maybe great, but they never reached that elite status. And to me, like, the consistency piece is what changes. Like, are you going to be like the 08 Celtics where they wanted to kill you every single night? They wanted to stop you every single possession. And those are the teams that, like, like that's that's the mentality that this team needs to to get, um, and they they never really had that last year. And then the other piece, like you said, is um, just just the offense, like late game offense. Mm-hmm. Do they have solutions against all types of defensive coverages? And it it won't like crunch time offense, <laughs> five minutes a game, super small sample size. By definition. Um, but do they have the cohesion? Do they have the answers? Do they know what they want to get to? Does Chris Saps fit in in that? Can they utilize him without sacrificing parts of what make Tatum, Brown, and Holiday great? All that stuff. And then on top of it, like how different actually is Missoula? Like it's it's cool to be different now in preseason. What happens in the middle of the season? Can he, you know, make those changes quicker rather than needing a full-off season to to get to the place where he should have been at last year?
0: It gets to, like, the... It's, like, how dominant do they want to be? And you talk about, like, consistency. Like, this is just the NBA. Like, obviously, they're going to get up 20 sometimes, and then, like, the, the other team, you know, is just going to make threes and come back. But it's, like, what is the Celtics, this current Celtics' ability to kind of, like, take over a game whether it's responding to uh, to a run by the other team whether it's just like finishing out quarters and halves or it like comes down to that cl- uh kind of clutch offense is like what is the makeup of the team when like it's just gut punch time gut check time i guess you would check your own gut and punch the other <laughs> people's guts um but like can they kind of flip the switch and just be like oh this is our game now like yeah we're we're going to take over because i think as you mentioned, Jay, like that team last year was very good, but it was so reliant on making three pointers. And I think it comes back to that kind of general theme we've talked about, but it's like, all right, do they have the capability of like three pointers are not following, falling, but they need to win the next three minutes. And are they going to be able to be a team that can like figure out the way, the way to do it, whether that's just like really locking in defensively or throwing that curveball on offense. But I think that's the kind of what I'm looking for is like, Basketball, as they say, is a game of runs. Um, but how do they respond when they kind of need to have that moment? Cause I don't think the Celtics had we very good last year at terms of like having those great kind of games or or winning uh super ugly. It's like they they relied on like a lot of the three pointing and the shot making and this kind of the natural talent, but there wasn't that like just crazy, just like uh taking over games and winning ugly and in winning games they probably shouldn't have won. Um, and I'm saying that now, but I, that could have been true. They won 57 games last year. That's a lot of, that's a lot of wins. Um, but I guess that's I'm kind of what I'm looking for is just like, what happens when they get punched in the face? How do they respond? And that's where they can kind of develop and see if they have the consistency.
1: For sure. It's like, I mean, they came out 21 and five out of the gate, but then it felt like they weren't really building anything for the rest of the year to both your guys. points, it's like, they, it was up and downs. It was not real, real consistency. And that kind of came through in the playoffs where they they showed their true colors on that front. So it's like, I mean, think about it. Like, even for as bad as game seven was, they should have lost that game in game six against the Heat. Like, and they would have lost that game, like, collapsing, like, giving up a double-digit lead in the last, like, six minutes of that game where the offense just completely fell apart. And that just happened time and time again for as good as they were that season. That's, like, probably what I'll remember that team the most for in those moments. And now it's, like... You have a couple new faces in the mix, like Porzingis. Drew Holiday is obviously playoff proven, but his numbers are kind of up and down that front. Porzingis, we don't really haven't seen much of him. So it's like, what are those guys add to that equation in those moments is really what's going to, you know, clearly make or break the identity of this team to a degree.
2: And I thought for whatever reason, it just took him a long time to respond last year. And I, I don't like, there's something about a team that can, like, have one bad quarter and then look at each other and be like, Let's fucking get this right, guys. Let's do it right now. And, you know, if you lose three games in a row in the regular season, there are a lot of teams that have done that and won a title. (laughs) The Nuggets last year in, like, March or April were pathetic. They were giving up millions of points. Jokic was having, like, low-light, highlight, low-light reels, where on Twitter he was just, like, giving up bucket after bucket, and it didn't matter. Uh, But... It did feel like last year the Celtics were just – it took them long to respond. They would they lost like three games in a row a number of times. They gave up a 28-point lead, and then the next game gave up like a 14-point lead with five minutes left because they could not keep Lamar Stevens off the glass. Like, you just need – and then it carried over into the playoffs. Like, things went bad against James Harden, and they, they couldn't on the fly just take away his comfort level. Things went bad against the Heat. And then all of a sudden, they're down 3 nothing, and need to win four straight games and can't quite do it. So it's, it's like the identity of the team to just keep doing, making the simple play, the right play, no matter what. That's what's held the Celtics back. Can they get that? We shall see. And we will be here every single
0: day, Monday through Friday, to talk about it, whether or not they do it or whether or not they fail to do so. But we'll be here Monday through Friday. And so this has been the free episode of this week. If you want to come back tomorrow and hear this podcast, go to patreoncom still potable become a kid. If you want to hear us again on Wednesday, come back and become a god. If you want to be here and just tell us we're stupid. And join us here live on the podcast. Come back and become a legend. We would welcome that as well. Um, it's going to be very exciting uh, to start the season. And we will be here for you uh, every day, Monday through Friday. Uh, no matter what, we are still potable. I still have not figured out a way to end this podcast. And so I'm just going to keep talking. Uh, see, this
2: is your new bit. This is how you've decided to end the podcast is by saying that you haven't figured out a way to end the podcast. I see through... You're tricked.
0: Thank you for explaining the jokes to the listeners, Jay. That is seems and, to be And your that's your why head. I
2: take you out of your <laughs> rhythm. And that's why I ruined it for you.
0: Well, thanks, folks. <laughs> <laughs> See you tomorrow on Patreon.
2: I just forced a turnover. Okay, I'm Proven crunch time.
0: Oh, dude, my, my my crunch time lineup is terrible. I have bad stats. I am like the Celtics of yesteryear.
2: Oh, we didn't tell the people about how you tore your hammy in a... Uh softball game That's i did great. not
0: tear my hammy i pulled my hammy did
2: playing. you pull yourself out of the game
0: no i stayed in playing the playing rest red? of the game and then I, right. I, re-
2: I can respect you then then I we had get. a
0: two-hour break and i tried to play the next game i was leadoff hitter i took one swing and it just made it feel so bad and then i pulled myself out of the game
2: we, and then are we still lost potable. the
0: tournament and then we lost the tournament
2: and we are still potable